No confession is the sum and substance of our faith. Rather, it is a symbol. It's an expression of the thing itself, something that is greater than the words. Our faith, in other words, is in Christ. It's in the Christ that the confessions point to. And so no confession of faith is exhaustive of our faith. Nothing is exhaustive of our faith but Christ himself. Nevertheless, the confession serves as a symbol, a pointer to the reality um, of our faith and helps us grasp that more profound reality in really significant ways. So this afternoon, what I'd like to do is just really focus on this one paragraph. You should have a handout there. It is chapter 3 of the Confession of Faith called Of God's Decree of God's decree. And there are several paragraphs here. In fact, this morning, I think we'll only get through the first two paragraphs. Um, I mean, this afternoon, whatever this is, this afternoon. Uh, So uh, I mentioned this to Alex last week. We were talking about going through the confession and, you know, he's written a little bit of things on the confession for your, um, for our um, newsletter. And uh, we've got, he's gone a little bit slower than I went last week. But I said, well, next week we're going to, we're going to slow down a little bit because this is a, I think just a helpful place for us to have some discussion. So, of God's decree. <clears throat> so, if we're going to talk about the de- God's decree, first of all, it might ta- be good to talk about what a, what a decree is. Dictionary definition will sound something like this. A decree is, quote, an official order issued by a legal authority. Or you might say that it's an authoritative determination. Someone, some authority makes a decision or a determination. That's his decree. This is the decree that I'm issuing to all the land. From now on, everybody will, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I, I, I think a good way to describe it also, a helpful way to describe it would be in these terms. A, the God's decree or a decree in the sense of thinking about God's decree is a pronouncement that has a creative force. Here's an example. Many, many moons ago, you walked an aisle or you stood at the front waiting for your bride to walk the aisle. And when you two got to the front, you came together and the minister at some point in the ceremony after hearing your vows and your pledges and asking you questions and charging you solemnly before God, he said something like this, I now pronounce you man and wife, or husband and wife, something like that, right? What, what was that? That was his decree. It was a pronouncement that actually created something. In the pronouncing of those words, that union was formed. That marriage union was founded or formed. So a decree is not just somebody making a decision. It's, it's, it's a decision that has a creative force behind it. And that's the way we think of God's decree. So let me give you a little bit of an outline. This, again, comes from Sam Waldron, at least uh, the basic, I think the two main points, and then I changed a little bit. But the main points here, he recognizes that the first two paragraphs describe the decree of all events, God's general decree or universal decree of all things, generally spoken of, the decree of all events. And then paragraphs three through seven are the specific decree 
refer to the specific decree of predestination to life. And Lord willing, we'll come back to that next time, paragraphs 3 through 7. So, so this morning then, paragraph 1 and 2, the decree of all events. This is the idea of God's decree in the most general of terms. So he's going to do two things, or the authors of this uh, confession are going to do two things in these paragraphs. Number one, they're going to state the doctrine of God's decree in summary form in the first half of paragraph one. So summarily stated. And then secondly, they are going to uh, deal with some specific issues. We'll come to that in a little bit. Some specific issues um, that come up when we're trying to understand God's decree, God's declaring of things that makes them so. So, first of all, the doctrine summarily stated. Let's look at the first paragraph then and uh, let this drive us to the Scriptures. Of course, the Scriptures are our ultimate authority. This is trying to help summarize what the Bible says. So here's the statement. God hath decreed in Himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of His will freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever comes to pass. Boom, there it is. There's the basic definition of it. Then you can go on and see that uh, he begins to, or they begin to... Uh, clarify some specific issues with relation to the decree. So we'll continue on. The authors say that God does uh, ordain or decree whatsoever comes to pass, yet, middle of paragraph one, yet, so as thereby, yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. And then paragraph two, Although God knoweth whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. All right. So let me give you the basic summary statement, and we'll just kind of pull that apart and take a look at the individual statements about what does it mean for God to decree everything and so it comes to pass. Well, in the first case, this decree of God is said to be independent. Uh, It is independent. In other words, God in making his decree, God in ordaining whatever comes to pass, that it comes to pass, in in ordaining that, God is independent of anything outside himself. He has decreed this, quote, in himself by the counsel of his own will. Okay, That's an important thing to to remember. 
in, in, in everything that God does, he's not dependent in any way on anything outside himself. Thus, he's God, and everything else that's dependent on him is not God, i.e., the creation. This is that back to that creator-creature distinction that we talked about last week. So we'll come back to this point, but God's in his, in his decree is independent. Number two, God's decree is eternal. He has decreed, quote, from all eternity whatsoever comes to pass. His decree is eternal. Uh, I'll give you an example of this in, Hebrew, in, in, uh, <clears throat> in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. The Bible says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, right? So talking about eternity outside of the creation of time and space, God chose a people in Christ. Um, that is part of the decree of God or, or, or a, uh, uh, a description of the decree of God in, in terms of its being eternal. And because it is eternal, it is singular. So we, talk, we can sometimes talk about the decrees of God, plural, the decisions of God. And, and by the decree of God, we mean sometimes we talk about the plan of God or the purpose of God for the universe. But he makes decrees. He decrees creation. He decrees the fall. He cre- decrees redemption to, be, um, to take place and so forth. But in the, in the bigger sense, we talk about the decree of God. Because God's decree is independent of time and space. It's eternal. Is He's not thinking of, you know, he's not making decisions in some kind of sequential um, order in time and space. His decree is singular. Whatever happens to us in time and space um, is the outworking of the decree of God um, in his eternity. In God's own consciousness, everything that's decreed for time is decreed simultaneously, although even the word simultaneously implies at the same time. We're talking about outside of time. Rather, God's decree creates time and space and is worked out in it. So God's decree is, first of all, independent. He's not dependent on his creation. He decides what will be. And secondly, it's eternal. And thirdly, it is immutable. And by that, we mean unchangeable. It is unchangeable. The confession says that he has decreed all things unchangeably. If it is eternal, if his pronouncement creates reality, then it's not subject to that reality. It is immutable. And fourthly, his decree is not a part of his essence. It's not essential to who God is. We talk about the essence of God, and we God in his essence is just who he is. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. He is the Trinitarian God, always delighting in himself. But his decrees to create, for example, or to interact with this world are not, um, are not part of his essence of, of his being. They are free. 
So that's why the confession says he freely decrees all things whatsoever come to pass. In other words, God was free in the sense that he could decree or not decree. He is free in the sense to, that he could decree one thing and not another to decree other than what he has decreed. He is free, otherwise he needs his creation somehow to be who he is in his essence as God. I'm not quite sure I follow that. Um, the, uh, the idea is that is still we're trying to get the fact that God is not dependent on us. We're dependent on God for all things. So God is free in his um, decree. And, and then third, fourthly, what is it, fifthly? He is wise in his decree. Um, the confession says that it, he, dis, he ordains whatsoever comes to pass by his most wise and holy counsel. When you talk about counsel, so somebody says, I want to I get some counsel. Usually think of going to talk to somebody else to say, hey, what do you think I should do? What do you think is wise to do? But God's decision, his decree, his plan, his ordination of whatsoever comes to pass was determined by his counsel within himself. As the triune God, he counseled only with and in himself. Um, Isaiah, Job, right? God, who, has, who, has, who did God consult when he made the world? He brought it out of his own self. And what he does in his own counsel is perfectly wise and good. Ephesians chapter 3 says that God makes known his manifold wisdom by unfolding his, quote, eternal purpose or his plan for the fullness of time. That was a manifestation of his eternal wisdom. And I tell you this, whether or not human beings right now think in their puny, sinful imaginations that God's decree is wise, in the end, it will prove to be the best, to be absolutely wise, the wisest and best of all that could be. And in the end, all creation will know that and will recognize that. His, his decree is wise. And then sixthly, his decree is all-encompassing. Notice that the statement says that his decree encompasses all things, or excuse me, whatsoever comes to pass. You say, well, how do I know if what happened over here was part of the decree of God? Well, here's the question. Did it happen? If the answer is yes, then we say that was a part of the decree of God. You say, well, what about, you know, okay, now that raises some questions, right? Because there's a lot of bad things that are happening. And we say, does God approve of that? Okay, so we, that's why the writers go on to then make some clarifications here. But the, but, this, but the statement as it stands is that the decree of God, His sovereign ordination of what will be, encompasses everything. Is that biblical? Is that really what the Bible says? Well, let me give you some scriptures, and uh, <clears throat> you can look up some of the scriptures here on your own later as well, but I've got a lot of them, so I'm just going to throw them up on the screen, sort of one after the other. But let me show you this first of all. The Scripture says in general terms that God's 
decree is all-encompassing in texts like Psalm 115, verse 3, which says that our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Or Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in the context of God's giving us salvation, it says that He works all things after the counsel of His will. How many things does He work according to His will? All things. What about Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10? The Lord says, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Or Romans 8, 28, which is so precious to us, right? And honestly, that's where this doctrine ought to leave you in the end, is to be rejoicing and to be comforted. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, don't say, well, this is limiting it to those who love God. He's working all things according to His plan. They're, the point of His plan is to bring about the good of those who are His called ones, those who love Him. That is the point and the purpose, but He is bringing about that good by working everything together for that purpose. Even the bad things, the good things, uh, you name it, all of it working together for that purpose. So, specifically, what does the Bible say with regard to the decree of God? What does it encompass? Well, let me give you several categories. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. No, no. I'm about six or seven. Uh, very quickly. All right, number one, God's decree encompasses the affairs of nations. Second Kings chapter 5. Verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Why? Because, because uh, by him the Lord had given victory uh, to Syria. Excuse me. How is it that Syria had, 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 or that, uh, Syria had had victory? Because the Lord had given it. The Lord was in charge of the affairs of those nations. Or Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31. The horse is made ready for battle. Every nation gets its military ready, right? We get the military geared up. Who's going to win? Well, the strongest nation will win, right? The one who's best prepared. Well, the victory belongs to the Lord. The Lord determines who wins. Is God's, God's decree encompasses World War I, World War II, the Korean conflict, Afghanistan, you name it. What about um, Daniel chapter 2, verse uh, 21? He... Speaking of the Lord, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Who decides who's in control of that kingdom? God does. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. He, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Think about that. The, the periods of time, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, right? Picture that. The rise, the fall, bounded by these dates. You learn those dates in school. You learn the different Roman emperors. Who decided the boundaries of the rule, the dominance of the empire? God. Who decided how far they went? You know, there's a, a wall called, I think it's Hadrian's Wall, built across in the northern part of... Uh, um, England, right, between England and Scotland somewhere. And you can still go to that wall. That was like considered the boundary of the Roman Empire in the day. Beyond that were the, 
the, the wild people in Scotland, right? They were the crazy people up there. And uh, they said, this is as far as the empire goes. Who, who put that boundary there? Well, the Romans put the stones, but God set the boundary. That's what Paul is saying. God's decree encompasses the affairs of the nations. His decree encompasses, secondly, all of the details of our lives. Psalm 139, verse 16. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. While I was still in my mother's womb, God had ordained already all of the number of my days. How many days are you going to live? God's decided. Matthew 10, verse 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Two little birds for such a cheap price, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered, right? So whatever the number is today, whatever it's going to be tomorrow, it might be something different. It's God's, God's got them numbered. In other words, every detail of our lives. James chapter 4, verse 15. Remember, the people were... Um, sort of boasting of their independence. We will go here, we'll buy and we'll sell, we'll make a profit. He says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God is sovereign over all the details of our lives. Thirdly, he is, his decree encompasses even what we would call chance occurrences. This is an amazing one. Job 32, verse 36. He covers his hands, speaking of God, he covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Think about the sort of the, the lightning just sort of randomly striking out in all of these places and it happens to hit this one tree in the middle of nowhere. You say, I mean, that's almost, that's like, what are the chances that you would get hit by lightning? All of that is in the decree of God, exactly where that lightning will strike. Or Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even the games of chance that people play is, are under, the, uh, and, and, and are under the, um, the decree of God, the sovereign plan of God. 1 Kings chapter 22, this one's a really, uh, just a vivid one. 1 Kings 22, verse 34, Then a certain man drew his bow at random. You like the way it says it. He drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor of the breastplate. Here's a soldier just shooting at random into this large crowd of people, and who does it hit? Exactly whom it was ordained to hit. In fact, this is exactly as predicted by the Lord um, and determined in his uh, counsel. So even these chance occurrence, these random shots, these lightning strikes of human history are in the providence and, and under the decree of God. Fourthly, the decree of God encompasses the free acts of men. Proverbs 16, verse 1, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue, even that is in the decree of God. What if that man gives a terrible answer? Well, it's subsumed under the decree of God. Proverbs 16, verse 9, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 21, 1, The king's heart is a, uh, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Even the decisions of human beings, the free acts, their, their, their words that come out of their mouth, the decisions that they make, the, the steps that they take are all subsumed under this idea of God's sovereignty, God's decree. Everything that comes to pass, He spoke it into being, as it were. 
Um, fifthly, it encompasses God's even, excuse me, it encompasses even good as well as evil events. Isaiah 45, verse 17. I, God says, form the light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So we shouldn't look at even terrible things that happen in the world like tornadoes and hurricanes and say, where was God in the middle of all that? God spoke that into existence. His decree encompassed even those things. And this is where we begin to say, well, I don't know. Is that true? Um, but this is what the Word of God says. And I think you will find it. I know many of you are already on the same page, but you will find it to be a comfort to your soul. Um, Isaiah 45, verse 16. I'm sorry, 54, verse 16. Isaiah 54, verse 16. Behold, God says, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. This is the work of God. Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Even disaster is in the decree of God. Not only does, he, does his decree encompass all acts, good and, and uh, evil, but it encompasses even the sinful acts of human beings. Genesis chapter 50, one of the just highlight passages for this. Remember everything that happens to Joseph, all of the sinful actions that are perpetrated against him, and at the end of the day, here's what he says to his brothers. You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. There's two beings that have a purpose and have some measure of responsibility for these actions. On a human level, there's human beings that had a certain purpose for it and their purpose was evil, but God's God has, a, has his own purpose in that one and same act, even those sinful acts that are taking place. Job chapter 1, verse 21. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the, ooh, the Midianites have taken away. No, the Lord has taken away. The hurricanes have taken away. No, the Lord has taken away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. That's another just stellar passage. The apostles are being threatened never to preach again in the name of Christ, but they are determined uh, to rest in the decree of God, the providence and the sovereignty of God. They say, For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And they were determined to sin, to murder someone they knew to be innocent. This is clearly a sinful action on their part. But, it, but the apostles say this, they were gathered, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So the predestination of God or the decree of God encompasses even in ways that we cannot fully understand or appreciate at this point, but it encompasses all things whatsoever come to pass, including the sinful actions of human beings. And finally, it encompasses even the final destruction 
of the wicked. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 25. Eli's sons, speaking of them, it says, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The Lord has a purpose for the wicked of this world. Romans chapter 9, verse 17. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you. God had a purpose, even in wicked Pharaoh. 1 Peter 2, verse 8. God says to the unbelieving Jewish leaders, or Paul, or Peter says about them, rather, that they stumble because they disobey the word. So there's their personal responsibility, right? They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And there's the overarching decree of God even working um, behind the scenes of their disobedience. And then Jude, verse 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed into the church who long ago were designated for this condemnation. We have to say with the Scripture that, that there isn't anything outside of God's decree. Even sinfulness, even rebellion, even terrible tragedies that happen in this world, even chance occurrences, all of it are under the decree of God. And here's, here's maybe a helpful way to think about it, at least it's helped me. There is a kind of interconnectedness of all things um, in this universe in terms of a vast, um, <laughs> un incomprehensible network of causes and effects and, and actions of, of all kinds of agents in this world. And God's decree must reach into all things or it reaches into nothing. There's a, something called the butterfly effect. is a concept in chaos theory, which is uh, not my area of expertise by any means. Um, it sounds more like the study of a teenage boy's bedroom, chaos theory to me, than it does some scientific thing. But um, in any case, it's, uh, these are studies of, of the interrelated causes and effects in complex systems. And the idea is the flap of a butterfly's wings in one part of the world can be the deciding factor in the complex global weather system that ends up causing a tornado to form several weeks later in another part of the world. And, and so, you know, you say, God, why did that happen? And it's no wonder God says to Job, let's start at the beginning. And uh, you tell me if you can figure this out. I, you're asking me about, you know, research level physics and you're learning your ABCs right now and only work, you know, more than that. Um, one single out of control event can cause everything, uh, can cause a chain reaction. You know, the old uh, poem, for want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of the horse, the rider was lost. For want of the rider, the line was lost. For want of the line, the battle was lost. For want of the battle, the war was lost. All from the single loss, the loss of a single horseshoe nail. I think 
the implication of the interconnectedness of the world is such that if God doesn't have total control, it's hard to see how He has any control. If He doesn't control everything, He doesn't control anything. If He's not sovereign over all, He's not sovereign at all. The clear clear teaching of the Scripture seems to be that God's decree, His plan, encompasses everything. Or we could say it more comfortingly. There's nothing that will ever happen to you or happen in this world that is in the biggest sense outside of the plan of God. That God says, whoops, I didn't see that coming or I wasn't planning on that. Now, um, this doctrine has to be carefully guarded. And uh, that's what these next phrases do. And I really only have just time to skim through these real quickly. But let's do that um, before we quit today. What is it? What do we not mean? What, what, what are there some of the careful um, uh, explanations that we have to put when we talk about the decree of God encompassing all things? Well, in the first place, we want to say that God is not the author of sin. What we, whatever, this, whatever God's absolute decree over all things means, it does not mean that He is the author of sin. James 1 makes this clear. God is not tempted with evil, and He Himself, what? Tempts no one. He Himself tempts no one. I think of it in these terms. God is, in an ultimate sense, the cause of everything. Otherwise, God is dependent. God is the ultimate cause of everything, but God is not the immediate cause. God is not the cause of closest proximity making these evil things, these evil choices, bringing this uh, corruption into the world, the things that hurt and, uh, and destroy in this world. Scripture sees seems to place the blame for sin on that being that is in most immediate relation to that sinful choice. And God's motive is never to be impugned by this. In other words, whatever we say about the decree of God, we must say that God's ordaining of these things is always for a pure purpose. It is good and right and holy and pure, never sinful, never antithetical to his own character. Whatever he does is ultimately, in the ultimate sense, in keeping with his own good character in every way. He is not the author of sin. Secondly, we would want to say that there is a kind of true creaturely freedom there is a kind of true creaturely freedom. Absolute sovereignty on the part of God and human responsibility are in the biblical um, revelation somehow compatible. We may not, and I, I don't think anybody seems to be able to you know, fully explain the compatibility to the satisfaction of most people. Um, but we would say they are compatible. God's sovereignty is not incompatible with 
a kind of real freedom and responsibility on the part of humanity. This, of course, assumes a particular definition of human liberty or freedom. See how much time we have? We're almost done. This assumes a certain definition of human liberty or freedom. In other words, freedom, human freedom is not in the strictest sense the fact that, well, that person could have done the opposite of what he did um, in terms of going outside of whatever God has decreed. What human freedom does mean in a biblical sense is that that person is not forced by God to do something contrary to what he wants to do. He is given this freedom to exercise his will in responsibility to God to do what he wants to do, what he feels is right, good, best, whatever. And that is the way in which we say that people are free. They have a free will in that sense to do what they want to do, to do what is in their nature to do. We must let God's revelation create categories of thought for us as Christians. I mean, this is true. This is your basic, you know, basic philosophy of how you know things. Um, How do you know anything? God tells you what's true and you believe it, okay? And so God gives us a category by, by our comparing Scripture with Scripture, we, we come to a category that includes things for which men have a liberty and, and they have a, a responsibility for choosing and yet is within the sovereign, unchangeable, immutable, free, independent decree of the Almighty God. And we just have to humble ourselves and say, whatever God says is true, um, and, and, and I will have this kind of category in my mind. Let me say one last thing, and then um, we'll probably come back to this. Um, we'll definitely come back to this uh, chapter in a future date. The last uh, thing to say is that his decree is not conditioned. I don't know if I have this yet. His decree is not conditioned upon his, his prescience. Let me say prescience is just a word that means that he knows everything ahead of time. He knows what the future is going to be. Does God know the future? Absolutely. Now, here's another question. Why does God know the future? He doesn't know the future because he's sort of like um, dependent on his creation, but he can see more than we can see. He can see further down the road. He's just like an exalted creature who can see further because he's taller. We're short. We can only see maybe my, maybe what's going to happen tomorrow or this week. But he can see 50 or 1,000 years down the road. It's not like that. He knows the future because he speaks it into existence as an act, as an eternal act of his decree. So the, the, he's always and forever not a part of his creation. This is this is a, this is why we are theists and not panentheists or pantheists. There is this distinction between God and his creation. Um, he is independent in the Bible. The prophecies of God that He predicts are not based, um, are not uh, grounded upon His His knowledge of the future, His prescience, but upon His sovereign determination. Let me give you a few passages: Isaiah forty-six, 
percent. I don't remember if I put them up there or not. Isaiah 46, verse 10. Um, but the scripture says that he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Not that I can see that this is probably, you know, this is going to happen down the road, so I'm going to say this. It's going to happen down the road because I've, count- I've determined it in my counsel. Acts chapter 3, verse 18. What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He brings it into fulfillment because he foretold it. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. For truly, oh, this is the one we read earlier, I think. For truly in this city we're gathered together against Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and all the people, to do whatever your hand and your plan destined, predestined to take place. Is not grounding, they're not grounding their hope on God's knowledge of what would happen so much as they are on God's determination that this is what would happen. And all of this is an entailment of God's independence from His creation as expressed, for example, in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. This is a great passage, by the way, Acts 17, for some good theology proper. Um, God, Paul preaching to the uh, at Mars Hill, right? The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Whatever happens with men, their life, their existence, their the things that they... It comes from God, not the other way around. God's not sitting there looking ahead to see what people will do. He is the one who's independent of that. So his, um, his decree is in and of himself. Now, um, I'm going to quit there, but except, except to end it this way. Um, all of this can seem like, you know, like just theology sometimes. And, you know, sometimes people um, want to... Um, want to uh, sort of react against some of what they think are implications of this. And, and rightly so, we need to, I mean, in, in the sense that we need to clarify things. But this doctrine that God has spoken into existence everything is of the greatest comfort to God's people. This is where your hope is grounded. This is where your comfort finds its roots, and if you want a good book for this, um, just on on just sort of drawing out for our hearts the practical implications, I'll just give you one title from Jerry Bridges called "Trusting God." I think the subtitle is "Trusting God Even When Life Hurts," and he go, just goes through the decree of God, and just like I did, what does it encompass, and then begins to draw out the implications of the sovereignty of God over all things when you're facing your crisis, when you're struggling, when you're facing things that are so hard and painful and even evil. But I'll leave you with the words of Charles Spurgeon on this. There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, that sovereignty will sanctify them. There is nothing for which children ought to more earnestly to contend 
than the doctrine that their master is master over all creation. The kingship of God over all the works of his own hands. The throne and his right to sit upon that throne. It is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon the throne whom we trust. And that is it. We trust him because he ordains everything that comes to pass. And, and here's, here's the beauty of it then. In the, in the grace of God, in his gracious salvation of you, the, the one who ordains everything that comes to pass is, the, is your father who loves you, who is working all these things together for your good. So it's no wonder, Paul says almost right after that, if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? That's the hope in this. Let it be. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this word. Comfort and strengthen us from it. And uh, we pray that we would live in light of it. That this knowledge of you would sustain even our brothers and sisters who are in pain and who are hurting and who are persecuted and suffering. Lord God, let it be in Jesus' name. Amen.